Hey everyone, welcome to episode 40 of the Melanin Minute, a dope podcast by two broadcasts talking about comic books, hip-hop, movies, and everything in between. I am Shabazz Kazia. And it's your boy Morgan Hampton. What up, man? What up, dude? How are you? Good, good. How's life? How's life in the Bay? It's, it's nice. It's perpetually 68. You know how it uh, is. I, I miss that so much. I haven't... Uh, it's perpetually haven't, 90 here. That's disgusting. Yeah, this is like the first day in a minute that I've seen the sun. Probably in like a week. Mm. It's been foggy like it usually is. That Stevie Wonder weather? That Stevie Wonder weather. <laughs> that's <laughs> fucked up. <laughs> but yeah, that Stevie Wonder weather. It's nice. I like it. Um, uh, I, I had no idea... Until you sent me that, that gang, um, Coolio's Gangster's oh God, Paradise yeah. was a sample of a Stevie Wonder song. Or yeah, was it a reference had... track? It, it was a what? Was I it think a... it was, it, it was like a little bit, of, it was almost a cover. It was, it was a pretty, yeah. pretty deep sample. Like they, they, they basically covered the song and just changed a few of the lyrics for the chorus. Yeah. Um, and then he, he spit some bars or whatever. But like, I, when I found that out, I lost my shit. It's like. And his original song is beautiful too. Like, oh yeah, Stevie Wonder, man, his 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 influence has no limit. Like, no, not at all. Everywhere, man. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Oh, by the way, I had a random question. So, hmm. when you think of um, Storm, who, which version of Storm is like your definitive Storm? Probably the cartoon. But like which which like because there's so many versions like uh, the '90s version, the '80s version, the early 2000s version. Oh, like there was an '80s cartoon. No, or so you're talking. So I think we're like, talking about the same one then. The one with like Jubilee with the trench coat on, like that 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 X Men. We're talking show. about like the the white, like the long white hair and the white yeah. shoulder pads, um, yeah. and the all white outfit. Yeah. Yeah, that's my storm too. Same. Um, for but for a lot of people. Like when Tiger. I think of no, I don't think so. I think it's um, a lot of the, a lot of people's uh, the '80s like Mohawk Storm. Mm. That's a lot of the definitive, but for me, it's definitely the '90s and the long hair, all white, with the shoulder gotcha. pads. Yeah, that's mine for sure. I mean, I grew up with that with that whole TV show. So oh yeah, a lot of the, the, everyone's looks from that show is kind of like my definitive look that I like them to have. Um, so that's kind of why. Well, yeah, that's, I mean, like, a lot of the, the 90s cartoon is, like, the definitive for me for a lot of it. Because, yeah. like, even, like, the Spider-Man show, that's why my Eddie Brock was, like, n- like s- sort of a an alpha male type character. Mm-hmm. Um, and the same thing with, like, my Wolverine is not the original brown and gold. It's yeah. the blue and gold. I do like the bl- the brown and gold costume too. Though. I do too, but I prefer the the blue and blue and gold. Yeah, only because it it just it 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 fits with the aesthetic of that the X Men team, like kind of matching all their colors. Yeah. Um. Damn, what was I about to say? Real quick before we get into what we're talking about, like today, I was thinking because you know you know the hype is is starting to ramp up for this um this Venom movie. Um, mm, yeah. And there's increased talks about whether um. Is this the same? Is this kind of like MCU adjacent, or like how does this work? Even if Spider Man's not in this movie, is it still kind of the same universe type of thing? Um, and I think it's going to get confirmed that it's not when the movie comes out because of what happened in Infinity War. 
unless this takes place in the past. Because I can't see that movie being even MCU adjacent and not addressing people disappearing. Um, I don't you know? think so. And I, I, I don't, and also because Sony just announced the name for their own universe, their own cinematic universe. Is it Spider-Verse? No, it's like Sony Marvel cinema. It's not, it's like SMCU or something. It's not very gotcha. like, like clever. It's like the Sony Marvel character universe. So I don't know. I don't really know what they're doing, dude. I mean, I, listen, I, I'm one of the few people who is not totally shitting on the the Venom trailer. Like, I'm okay with it. Mm-hmm. Oh, so I'm, I'm not alone when I didn't like it? I thought a lot of people liked it. No, I feel like a lot of people had words about that movie, that trailer. It uh, looks very not good to me. <laughs> I think it's... I'm, I'm not saying it's going to be a good movie. Like, I, I yeah. still think it's up in the air. Like, I can't definitively say it's going to be like, good. Like, Venom himself looks awesome. That's not my issue with mm-hmm. it. It's everything else. <laughs> it just... It's for a lot of people, I think they it's, it's very hard to have a Venom movie without Spider-Man because Venom directly comes from the the influence of being um, attached to Peter. So for a lot of people, that throws in for a loop. But overall, like, I'm not, like... I think it looks fun, but I'm not going to say it's a good movie yet. And also, I don't know if this... Maybe maybe they're going to fix this a little bit before the movie comes out. I can barely understand him when he's Venom. I don't know what he's saying. I didn't have that problem. It's really garbled to me. Yeah, I didn't. Um, I didn't really have that issue, but I can. I can see that potentially being a problem. Yeah, well, I already have a hard time understanding people anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you heard that he said "turd in the wind." Yeah, and then, and that's like the only thing I heard, and I was like, "Did this fucking asshole just say turd in the wind? What the hell is going on?" That here? he did. That he did. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I'm still gonna watch it, but. Eh. Did you just hear that? Uh, Chris Pine. And yeah. uh, is kind of walking or they or because Chris Pine I think it's and Chris, a chess game. I think he's. I mean, because the thing is, um, I because both Chris Pine and um, Chris uh, Hemsworth Hemsworth both walked away from negotiations because Marvel. Yeah, Star Trek Four. Star Trek Four was supposed to be a time travel movie, right? Because um, Hemsworth is his father. Is is, is Kirk's father? Um. So yeah, I think uh, who's the producer Paramount? I think they lowballed them on the money. Is it Paramount? I think it's Paramount slash like Bad Robot because J.J. Uh, Abrams or whatever. Um, so I think they lowballed them, and I think them being part of you know other studios that pay them big bucks um, are like we're like your main characters. How are you gonna not give us the money that we deserve? So they're like we out. But I don't think you. I don't think I don't I mean people are like they should just have Sulo as the captain which would be dope because that's happened in previous iterations of Star Trek yeah. and I would be all for that um, but I do think on their part they're playing a chess game because they know that they're, they don't want to go forward without them um, so they're like we're going to walk and then Paramount's going to be like basically forced into giving them the money right and I think it's because they they saw like these movies have been doing really well but not like incredibly well so I think they've because they're having like they're trying to cut the budget back, they're kind of like trying to pay Chris. I mean, you can't Chris Pine um, less, which you can do because he is the like at least you have to pay him what you paid him before, which is right. what he's okay. I think that's not the issue is that they're trying to pay him less. Yeah, and I don't exactly. and for for us, Chris Pine is in in like Wonder Woman and like he's fine. Yeah. Like he doesn't need. 
Right. Like, it, this won't kill him too much. And plus, he is your leading star, so I don't... I think it's just, like, a matter of respect. You're like, I, I, I got you this far, and you don't want to pay me what I'm worth. Right, type right. Of it thing. is definitely, like, a respect, and it's and more of, like, a, a definitely a chess game. But I don't... I can see them, like, paying Chris Pine, but not both. Like, I, I doubt they go forward and pay both of them. I, I think they go forward to Chris I think... Pine. I think, though, if they pay Chris Pine and not Hemsworth, they're going to have to rewrite the movie. Because I think the script's done already. And and it is a time travel movie revolving heavily around Chris Hemsworth. Um, so if they don't pay Hemsworth, I don't think they can do the same Star Trek four that they want to do. They could always recast. I don't think that... Because I don't think that character was... I guess, yeah. Because he didn't show up as prominent. I mean, it was it was the first movie where he showed up. And it was he, only, yeah, the first five minutes. And of the first movie. So there's been two movies in between, and he wasn't even in that movie yeah, long enough for him to be, like, like one of those people that would be hard to recast. Um, true. It's not like this other situation going on right now where Dave Bautista's um, threatening to walk away from Guardians 3. Mm-hmm. And people are like, oh, they'll just recast him. I'm like, yeah, but I feel like that's a hard recast. Like, that's yeah, definitely no. going to feel weird. Yes, it is. So I don't I don't know how that's gonna play out. Um, yeah, I don't know. They should just pay them. Like I don't like just do it. I don't know what the issue is. Um, but I, my my fear is that if they can't get them back, that they just won't do Star Trek Four. I'm like, you can still do a Star Trek Four. No, for sure you can. Like again, Sulu would be great as the captain. Um, um no, actually, I don't know if you. That's gonna be a hard sell. Not even. Maybe maybe Hollywood wise, but like there's literal episodes of the old the original series where, where Sulu is the captain when, when Kirk is, you know, indisposed or whatever. Like there's there's a precedence for this in Star Trek lore. Um, I mean yeah, I guess that makes sense. I just don't know how audiences would react that's my thing because once you lose like a major i think that's the only issue like i don't think crazy rich asians got 100 percent on rotten tomatoes i don't know i think people will be fine i guess all right i I guess so um yeah but hopefully that i i do hope they bring chris pine back because i do enjoy him in those movies yeah um yeah so morgan what are we what are we reviewing today oh man we are, you know, finally living up to our name Ooh, <laughs> to a certain extent. And um, we're going to be talking about three movies of the melanin. Um, of the melanin variety? Of the melanin variety. Sorry to bother you. Uh, Blind Spotting and Black Klansman, which, you know, no spoilers yet, but I think are three phenomenal movies in their own right. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Like, this is a great time. It is a fantastic oh. time. Uh, which one do you want to... Well, let's... Briefly, let's just go over all three movies and give our general yeah. non-spoiler thoughts. Definitely. That way, if you want to, like, stop listening and then go watch it and come back. Because I really do want everybody to watch these movies. Yes. Um, let's start with... Because um, I haven't... I actually didn't get a chance to watch Blind Spotting. Because mm-hmm. uh, it was a whole issue because, like... I getting because none of the theater nearby were showing it at the time, and then when I couldn't even mm-hmm. movie pass was playing me, so it was a whole thing. Anyways, um, why don't you go into blind spotting real quick on your general? F- Actually, let's do. You want to do blind spotting first? Uh, I'm fine with whatever. Okay, let's do. Like, bl- why don't you just uh, 
give me your sort of feelings on blind spotting. Um, do you want me to give like a general just like yeah, what give the, like the a, movie's about like first? a like a spoiler-free synopsis. Um, so the movie follows um, two childhood friends who are Colin and Miles. Um, Colin is played by his name is spelled David. But I think his name is pronounced David, David Diggs, okay. who's um, of Hamilton fame. Yes. Um, uh, he plays Colin, who is an ex-con who's just now getting out of prison. Um, and at the time, you don't know what he went to prison for. Um, but he's been there for, I think it's like six or seven months. And then he goes on parole for, for 12 months or something like that. Um, and he has to live in like a, half, a halfway house um, for that time. And then his friend Miles, who's a, a white dude, um, and this is going. This is all taking place in Oakland. Um, and Miles is like a troublemaker, you know, who kind of hasn't grown up yet, and and um, you know, t- starts to take responsibility as an adult normally would. And and Colin, just coming out of jail, is like trying to be, you know, the straight-headed dude who doesn't want to do anything wrong anymore and kind of grow up and, and grow out of you know that lifestyle. Um, it takes place in Oakland. Um, and I'll say like, they do a really great job of, of highlighting, um, just the city in itself. Like they make it look really desirable, um, mm-hmm. which is really cool. Cause I feel like a lot of times you just kind of see the shitty sides of things, right. um, when you see it uh, represented and it's really a movie about like duality, which I really appreciate. Um, like they definitely jump into, like, it's not dissimilar from, um, sorry to bother you in that right where they really go into like the two Oaklands, like with all the gentrification going on over there. Right. Uh, and you know, the old Oakland, um, which is what everyone, you know, grew up knowing about. Um, and like the mo- like the movie opens with, um, just like it's two, it's like a split screen of the different t- parts of Oakland, like the nice, the quote unquote, nice gentrified side and the, um, and the the more you know rough around the edges side and they have this classical music playing on when it happens um but yeah so sorry i got ahead of myself the movie uh basically takes place the rules of the movie is um it's like three days before colin's um probation is up um and he has 11 p.m curfew every night that he has to get into his halfway house otherwise his um the dude there can extend his his uh probation time um, so he's trying to stay out of trouble and he, you know, narrowly dodges it for the first few days because his friend Miles is just kind of doesn't give a fuck. And he's like, you're right. out of jail. We're supposed to be having fun, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, nah. But then one night he drops his friend um, Miles off and he um, is waiting at a red light that's taking forever. And then a black dude runs in front of it um, like and they lock eyes and then runs around um to the driver's side of the of the truck that he's driving because he he drives like a moving truck that's his job um and then the cop is chasing after the dude and he's like stop 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 and the dude doesn't stop so he he like unloads like three bullets in his back and then the dude the dude is dead and then colin and the cop like lock eyes um and then like a a bunch of cops rush and then they make colin leave and he rushes home before his 11 o'clock curfew or whatever and that's where the movie takes like a, a split for me because I thought the movie was going to be about him seeking justice um, for what happened. Right. And it wasn't because he kind of couldn't because of the way that it, the rules of his life were set up at this time. Like him being, it was actually it was past 11. Wait, so who shoots the, the guy who was running? A cop. A cop, a white, a cop. white cop shoots him. Okay. Yeah. 
Um, and, and because of that long light and what happened, Colin was actually late coming home. So he missed, he, he was late and he was past his curfew. So he knew that he wouldn't be able to say anything to anyone, like call the police and tell them because it, it would just be pulled apart really quick when they're like, well, why were you out past your curfew? And, and that's what it would be about mm-hmm. instead of what he actually saw. So he basically kind of shuns it down and kind of tries to ignore it. But as the movie unfolds, you can start to see that it's having a profound effect on him and just how he's his worldview and all that type of stuff. And it's coming to a head, especially um, with him and his friend Miles, who's kind of a loose cannon. He's basically a white guy, but he's like that Eminem type of dude, you know, a white guy growing up in, you know, the rough parts of Oakland, who right. a lot of people look at as a black dude. And he kind of acts like a black dude, um, which feeds into the, again, the idea of duality. Like he, he can basically act black, but he doesn't have to take any of the, of the, um, of the flack that actual black people do. Right. Uh, and him and Colin come to a head about that later in the movie as well. Um, and then Miles gets into some other trouble that if, if it was Colin, it's brought up that if it was Colin, that Colin would probably get shot or go to jail for it, blah, blah, blah. Um, it, it just ultimately ended up being just a really tense movie that was, it was really grounded in reality. Like this, this, this is, there was nothing, um, speculative speculative about this movie other than you know that it was fiction but it was fiction that's based in stuff that happens every day you know right um but it was just super super tense every scene like don't don't get me wrong there was definitely some levity to it like there's a scene in there um that reminded me a lot of um Luis from ant-man um telling a story the way that he right. tells the story um which was fun because that in that scene that's how we find out why Colin went to prison. I don't want to spoil exactly what happened, but it's kind of told in a lighthearted way where this guy is kind of like recounting it because he was there, but it's kind of told in a, in a Louise type way where he's like speaking. And then when he does other people's voices, it's his voice and that type of shit. Right. So like there's funny moments, but ultimately it's, it's just grounded in, in the reality that, you know, a lot of people are living within this country today um, in terms of, of race relations and, and um, not being taken, you know, not being treated fairly and humanely. Um, and I don't want to spoil the ending, but there is some resolution as to what happened with the cop. Um, but it's not in the way that you think it is. And it's, it's almost shocking the way that it happens. And we don't really get to see if there are any consequences for it. Cause the movie kind of ends right after that. And I liked that. Um, but it was, it was just really good, man. Like, if if you haven't seen Blind Spotting, if you want to go watch it but haven't had the time, make the time to go watch it. Like you'll definitely you'll feel better about it. Um, and the one thing I'll say about like when we start talking about Sorry to Bother You in a second, um, at least for me, with Sorry to Bother You, after that movie was over, even though that deals with a lot of the same themes, like it's a lot more absurd um, in Sorry to Bother You. So I was kind of like. I was kind of hyped up after seeing Sorry to Bother You. You know, I was like, man, that was such a cool movie. Like, th- that was so fun, blah, 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 right. even though a lot of the stuff was heavy. Um, with Blind Spotting, I felt like shit after watching the movie. Like, I-, I love the movie, and I'll definitely watch it again, but I didn't feel good. Um, like, it, because Blind, uh, because Sorry to Bother You has more of like a, again, it's more heightened. That it, yeah. it, it because it's dealing with these it's hard... A skew, it's a skewed view right. of the world. And plus, because the latter half of that movie does sort of tilt in a way that gives it sort of this airy not airy but more heightened sense of reality more exactly. so towards the end that it kind of separates you from like the realness of what's happening 
but it, right. but also kind of drives it home. Exactly. Um, yeah. But it, in in blind spotting, it's a very it's not a it's not a sort of it doesn't cross those lines of like sci-fi and horror and stuff the way. No. Sorry to bother you. It keeps stays very grounded. No. Stays grounded. Yeah. So I, I definitely go check that movie out. It's, this is this is this might be one of like all these movies are. I, I like you know I like everything you know so it's hard to place movies um like in in a in a you know one through ten type of thing but i also i'm not a person that likes to rewatch movies very often like all these movies like unless i'm like showing it to someone for the first time or something i don't like to rewatch movies that often but all these movies are something that i feel like i can pop in in any given time and and watch just you know to have on and that's saying something for me someone who doesn't like to to rewatch movies like that, um, right. even as tough as as tough as Blind Spotting was, as well, just every aspect of this movie, from just personal relationships to the um, reality of dealing with police and the reality of dealing with race relations, every aspect of it was just super fucking tense, and you just really feel for the characters. Um, very character driven. Um, I don't know. I can't say I can't say much else. Like it's just, it's just a phenomenal movie. Like. Um, everyone should everyone should experience this movie for sure. Um, it's very timely, obviously, because this shit is happening every day. Um, and that, again, that's why I like the way that they ended the movie because it deals with that. There's a there's a little bit of resolution um, that that we get. That's not necessarily what you think, but for these characters, it matters, and for as an audience, it matters um, because it's kind of all what we want to see happen. Um, or at least a form of what we want to see happen of someone kind of uh, um, accepting culpability and what they've done. Um, yeah, it's, it's a great film. Seriously. That sounds uh, something that I definitely will watch very soon. Um, yeah. yeah and I urge everybody to watch all of these movies because they, they are a phenomenal sort of entryway into current, um, sort of the current zeitgeist of where we're at. Mm-hmm. Um, and also where the art is at, because I think these are phenomenally um, movies directed by people of color and sort of speaking about the experience of, of people of color. Yeah. Um, yeah, this was great. This one, as much as it's great to have both Sorry to Bother You and Blind Spotting, both in Oakland, I think Sorry or Blind Spotting highlights the city a lot more than. Um, than sorry to bother you did. Sorry to bother you. It was um, more in the in the periphery. Yeah, exactly. It was more in the in like sort of the the background of it all. Like the movie wasn't really about Oakland as much as it was being based there. Right. Whereas Blind Spotting, the fact that it was in Oakland was a big part of what the movie was, um, which I really appreciated. And it just makes me want to go over there more because I don't go over there that often. Um, you should definitely like hit up First Fridays and stuff like that. Definitely. Um, the movie was directed by Caesar, or sorry, Carlos Lopez Estrada, and is written actually by Rafael Casal and uh, D- David Diggs. Yeah, and Rafael Casal, I'd never seen him any, before in anything, and apparently maybe he hasn't really been in much because he doesn't have a Wikipedia link at all. Um, but him and David Diggs are like, tra- like they're literally childhood friends in real life too, uh, mm-hmm. and apparently like they they wrote this movie in the mid two thousands. But because of them both getting busy or whatever um, with their respective uh, projects, like they they couldn't make it until now. So I was reading something where they said that they had to basically they kind of had to rewrite it um, a couple times to kind of reflect current events. Um, it's just um, it's it's both 
you know, disappointing and amazing that, you know, some this movie was written in the mid 2000s, but it can still be as relevant as ever oh, right, yeah. as when they first started making it, you know. Um, but yeah, no, it, you can feel you can feel the chemistry between those two that they that they actually know each other. Um, right. And and again, I've never seen Raphael Casal before, but like he he's a really good actor. Like I'd like to see him in more things. Um, and I mean, well, this movie's definitely going to shine a spotlight. Definitely. Yeah. Um, so yeah, definitely go check that out. Um, so let's talk about Sorry to Bother You next. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, Sorry to Bother You is a, was directed by, written and directed by um, Boots Riley. Mm-hmm. And it stars Lakeith Stanfield, Tessa Thompson, and Jermaine Fowler. Uh, and the basic like gist of this movie is um, Lakashis is this sort of um, young guy who lives in Oakland with his girlfriend, uh, Tessa Thompson, De- uh, whose name is Detroit. Um, and Cash is sort of like this in and out of trying to, you know, out of jobs. Trying to, he's just trying to figure out his life living in Oakland, you know. Uh, he lives mm-hmm. with his um, uncle, who's uh, played by Terry Crews, uh, Sergio. And he's just trying to figure it out. Um, and his girlfriend, Tessa Thompson, is very this socially active, woke um, Oakland um, type person who's like trying to make a difference with her art and stuff, and look, uh, Cash's character starts working for a telemark telemarketing. Yeah, telemarketing. Telemarketing company in Oakland, um, and while there, it, there's all there's a very like elements of like uh, hyper reality. So like when he's making calls, <laughs> he's actually like he jumps into their like living room and stuff. Yeah, um, and. Cassius sort of uh, learns from uh, Donald Glover, uh, Danny Glover's character, that if you know if he wants to get ahead in this, he's gonna have to use his white voice. Yeah. And his white voice is literally done by a white actor, mm-hmm. um, and that because he's so good at that, it kind of propels him forward. Um, in the sort of the ranks of this uh, agency. Which then he realizes is is not exactly what it seems, um, and and things start to sort of unravel from there. Right. Um, let's just give our general thoughts of this movie. Um, loved it. Uh, without going into spoilers or whatever, like this movie was definitely advertised one way, and in its actuality was completely different than what you thought it was. One hundred percent. So. Uh, when I was watching it, I was I was even when it cha- even when that shift happened, I was still on board, but it just caught me off guard so much. So when I was um, when I was watching it, you know, I, I was into like the the whole the way they were doing the white voice and the kind of like little quirky way that they were conveying that on the screen with them jumping into people's houses and blah 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 and and just the whole kind of like um, from the production side of how the white voice kind of worked just was kind of fun for me. Um, but then when the shift happened, I literally, for the rest of the movie, for the rest of the, like the half of the movie where that shift happened, I was just like, what the fuck am I watching? Yeah. But like, you know, you, you get it though, because it's all, it's all metaphorical. Um, and it's, it's, it's a really absurd way of conveying its message. Um, but like, you just, you don't know that it's coming and it, it really, if you were already on the fence about what you were watching when that shift comes, like it, I can see how it could like take you out. Cause I, I watched it with my friend Vanessa and she was already kind of like, well, I don't know what the fuck's going on here. I don't know what's going on. And then when that happened, she just tapped out. <laughs> um, 
Well, I mean, because the, the trailer definitely gives you like one half of this movie. And I, I, I won't even say it's a half. I feel like it's like a third. Maybe yeah, it might be just like a third. So I give, and I thought that was really great because in essence, that's it's that what they're giving you still matters. Yeah, exactly. and they are telling you what the like the core of this movie is, but there's whole other side of this movie that you never even like see coming. So I thought the the sort of marketing job was sort of brilliant because yeah. you definitely got what you paid for. But like, if you're into what they're doing, much more because I I've absolutely loved this movie. <laughs> yeah, dude. Same here. Um, and I do think they does make a lot of social commentary on code switching mm-hmm. and what it means to try to make it in like corporate America. Yeah. Being a person of color, right? Exactly. Um, and it also, not in the way blind spotting does, but it also does give a shine to Oakland in the Bay Area. Oh yeah, for yeah. sure. Um, like you see Bart, you see Bart a, a few times. Right. Um, yeah, no, for sure. It definitely gives it shine. It, it's just not as much at the forefront of what the movie's about. Right, right. Um, and that's that's all I can really say without giving getting to like to real spoilers for this movie. Right. Um, let's let's talk about Black Klansman real quick, and then we'll just jump into like full spoiler. Okay. Boom, Baklat. Where is Black Man? This movie, I like how the, these movies kind of have a um, not necessarily all all three of them together. Well, I'm sure if you did enough digging, you can see the thread between all three of them together. But like how um, I think Blind Spotting and Sorry to Bother You has a lot of similar themes, mm-hmm. whereas Sorry to Bother You is just more absurd, and Blind Spotting is a little bit more um, based in reality. Same thing with Black Klansman and Sorry to Bother You with the code switching. But I don't think, at least with um, Ron Stallworth, I don't necessarily think he was code switching. I think that was just kind of his voice to begin with. Right. But he but he has a white voice, um, and that's a big part of what this movie is about. Um, and I thought that was interesting. Yeah, it was. It's really interesting. Um, so you want to give a quick rundown about what this movie's about? Uh, yeah. So it basically, it follows. Um, it's it's a period piece based on a true story um, in the early to mid seventies, I believe. Um, following a, a new police officer named Ron Stallworth who joins the Colorado Springs um, Police Department, and he's the first black cop, which is kind of why they hired him. Um, cause they were looking for diversity and he kind of soon, he's kind of going through the mundanity of life, um, there and he kind of wants a little bit more. So he tries to become a detective and then they kind of let him because they think that they can use him, um, as a black cop to kind of understand what the black community is trying to do in this, in this part of the, um, state. Um, and then, you know, as the movie progresses or whatever, he, he kind of gets himself into a little bit of a predicament where he kind of cold calls the KKK to see if I think he's just trying to see, you know, what their stick is going like in because I think they have a new chapter there or whatever. Um, and he kind of gets himself in a predicament because he basically um, he has this white voice over the phone and they don't they can't tell that he's black. So he basically is like, I hate black people. I hate Jewish people. I hate anyone who doesn't have white Aryan blood in their body. And they're like, I want to join your organization. And they're like, you sound like this type of person um, that we're looking for. But he makes a mistake because he says his actual name. Like he doesn't make up a a fake name. So then he has to, um, he pleads with his uh, superiors to, to try and come up with like some kind of sting operation to infiltrate the KKK to see if they're doing anything illegal because they're kind of um, advertising themselves to be reformed 
um, you know, just kind of more of a brotherhood than people that are trying to like hurt people. Right. Um, and he's like, let's, let's infiltrate and see what's going on. So him and Adam Driver, who's the white cop, who's playing the white Ron Stallworth, um, who, who, who goes in person to these meetings, they team up and try and figure out what the KKK is doing. Um, but it's a movie that's very much, um, it's also in its own right, very tense. Um, as you know, it's like the gun under the table type of thing where the audience knows everything that the characters don't always know. Um, so we get the tenseness that they don't always get. And that makes us even more tense. Um, but it, it very much also deals with the duality of white and black in this country. And, you know, especially at that time and, and even coming back into it now, which makes it more present, the idea of, you know, how race relations in this country are very much rooted in, in, in prejudice and thinking that we're different and not the same. Right. Um, and that was the kind of the driving force about the white, the white voice, which I really appreciated was, you know, when he's having conversations with them, they think he's just a stand up dude because he sounds like a white guy when he's actually a black dude, you know, and it's just like, if you could just see the absurdity of that, that you're actually having a nice conversation with a black dude. Like if you knew that, right. you know, you probably, it, you wouldn't, you wouldn't admit it, but you know, it would do something to you, you know? Um, and I think the thing that I liked about this the most is that it's based on a true story. Cause I didn't know that. Um, like this actually happened. I'm sure they glorified some things. Um, but it was a fun movie that was also really tense and this isn't really spoiling. Um, but at the end of the movie, basically when the movie ends, they play, um, clips from the Charlottesville stuff from a year ago. Cause it came out on the one year anniversary of that. Right. Um, and it's really poignant and, and kind of puts things even if you if you kind of weren't getting the parallels that they were trying to make in the movie, they make sure you do get it by playing all the, the Charlottesville stuff by saying, like, look, these dudes did what they said they were going to do. You know, there's someone in the White House now who is a representative for them, whether he says it or not. Right. He's doing he's doing what what they've always wanted, you know, Um and I teared up a little bit when they were playing the Charlottesville stuff because I'm just like, yeah, this is exactly what they were trying to do. Um, I think it's a very important movie that it couldn't have come out in the more perfect time. Yeah, no, I think it was incredibly powerful. And I think it, it also deals with how racism is like, in, especially with um, his character, both subtle and like outright. Mm-hmm. Like it's sometimes it's like it's like casual humor in their racism. Like when he shows up late, like what uh, CPT? Oh yeah, CPT. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and how like there how there was like even racism within the police force, like oh, overtly yeah. with that one cop who was just yeah a racist piece of shit. But even the 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 police chief to a certain extent, I feel is a little racist. Yeah, I was that was actually a turn that I I, I didn't see coming initially. I, I don't know why. I guess I was a little naive because in the beginning of the movie, he seemed really eager to hire, you know, a black cop. And I'm like, oh, OK, he's one of the good guys. And then, like, as soon as he became a cop, you can kind of see that he treated him differently than the rest of the cops. Um, and like even he he really only granted his permission to become a detective to kind of use him, his blackness, right. you know, Um so, yeah. No, that was really interesting. Um, and I, I, I do think this movie deals with a lot of of what it means to embody culture and what it means to, you know, be yeah. present within your own culture. Because even Flip, uh, who plays um, the, the, like... Adam Driver. Adam Driver, who actually plays... Uh, 
Ron Stallworth like in person where he has to go to the client meetings and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and he kind of has to like acknowledge that he's kind of been white passing his entire life, even though he's Jewish and he's never really embraced that right. culture just because he's trying to like get by unscathed. Right. So that was exactly. So that was really interesting. Also, uh, so and I feel like this is a return to form for Spike Lee. Oh, yeah. Spike Lee hasn't really dropped anything. Um, I know Chirac rubbed people the wrong way. Yeah, people didn't like that movie. Yeah, I I know that people didn't. I, I never watched it. I may go watch it. Same. I, I heard that that movie did not play well with a lot of people. Um, but this movie has an interest. You know the the so the the team he has the it's him, it's Adam Driver, and then there's Jimmy. Um, Flip J- Jimmy, and then it's um, Ron, right? Uh, yes. So Jimmy's character, I kept looking at him like, man, he reminds me of Steve Buscemi. I thought he was Steve Buscemi, dude. No, he's Steve Buscemi's brother. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. His name is Michael Buscemi. Because I kept thinking about it. I'm like, I'm like, the I, entire movie, I thought that was Steve Buscemi. No, 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 because I knew it wasn't Steve Buscemi, but I'm like, he looks kind of like Steve Buscemi. And then, yeah, it's his brother. That's funny as hell. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but the movie deals with a lot of how in situations like this like it really because us becomes us versus them yeah and in very yeah the whole movie was us versus them in in a bunch of different aspects right and even when you're with the sort of even when he's with the police he's also against them and you see that uh, play out in the movie and when he's with his girlfriend too the way that um you know showing the the um the the black, you know, righteous side going against police. Um, and then, you know, when it's revealed, when he reveals to her that he is a cop, you know, how she takes that as well. Like, because of that whole us versus them mentality. Because, yeah, he's black. And, yeah, she cares for him. But she's a cop. And she's, you know, she can't fuck with that. Right. Um, and it's understandable, but that's also, like, these lines have... And she can see is rightly... She's, like, rightly angry about it all. Um Yeah. But it also draws these lines within these commu- like in the community in itself, right? Of where you where you stand in that line. Exactly. Um, you know, very 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 powerful movie. Um, but yeah, let's, so let's just jump into full spoilers and let's start with. Uh, sorry, because you didn't want to do because I haven't seen Blind Spotting, so we'll. Yeah, I, f- I feel like I said I said more than enough. About Blind Spotting, so we'll, like, we'll, we can't can't really elaborate on it. We right. both haven't seen it, so so we'll do a sp- full spoilers for. Um, for both Sorry to Bother You and Black Klansman. So, okay. Sorry to Bother You, there's a lot to talk about. So, the first half of this, yeah. or the first third of this movie, right? You think it's just going to be about, you know, what it means to code switch and this sort of hyper-fantastic version of Oakland and sort of this this person's rise into this shady organization, right? Yeah. And it definitely is, because at some point, because there's also this thing where um, in this movie, there's this whole, there's this company that basically, like, basically you sell yourself into, like, the prison system for right. having just basic, like, food and, 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 and a place to sleep. Yeah, what was the, what was the name of that again? I'm trying to find out. Hold on. Um, let's see. Because that shit made me crack up every time. Yeah, because it's basically like a giant prison you willfully go into. Yeah. And, and every time they showed it, it, it felt like like an MTV Cribs episode or yeah. some shit. They're like, yeah, check out my room. And it's just like him in a room sharing it with like eight other people. Like, <laughs> it was funny as hell. 
uh, worry worry free is that what it's called? yeah i think it's like wor- no uh no worry f- wait yeah worry free is what it's called yeah and it's kind of like you know you forfeit everything just so you can go live out this mundane basically indentured servitude right yeah exactly but i mean people just want like stability Right, so they keep joining. Him. Right, and even in the beginning of the movie, um, Cassius is like, "Should I join? Should I go? You know, go live at Worry Free or whatever?" Like, seems like a a nice viable place to live. Right. <laughs> um, and even his his uh, you know um, Terry Crews's character was like, you know, I'm thinking about doing it because he has diabetes and is they can't afford to keep the house, so he's like, I, you know, I might as. And so that kind of also motivates. Um, Lakeith's character just kind of like start you know moving up in that social ladder even though it's like it compromises right. him on a social level knowing that they're like the exactly. shady company because you realize yeah. that once you get to the top it's like they're like doing like super shady stuff like not only are they with worry free but they're also like like child labor and hits on people like it's all kinds of crazy shit that they're doing yeah um but it's really interesting. So where the movie takes a turn, like, uh, and there's a lot of like, like, again, like how we talked, there's a lot of like surreal elements to this movie. Like when they're like mm-hmm. talking, they're like in, when they're on the phone with somebody and trying to sell something, they're like in, they like jump into their living room or their bedroom. It doesn't matter what they're doing. Mm-hmm. They're kind of like there if they pick up the phone. Yeah. Um, but this, where this movie takes a turn is like once he kind of climbs up this social ladder, um, it starts to get weird because one, they kind of start looking at him as like the, the the token new cool black dude, like especially at the in the yeah. party when they want because he he's like I can't rap, but they're like oh forcing him to rap. Oh man! And so he I lost my shit during that part. Yeah, and all he just says is N word shit, N word shit, N word shit over and over and over again, and they're like, yeah, this was... yeah, because so what was it? It was Army Hammer's character yeah. who's like this big white hotshot. He was like the the owner, the CEO of of, of Worry Free. And he takes a liking to Cassius because they're like, we think, you know, you're exactly what we need type of thing. And he's trying to, like, show Cassius around this party. Um, and he's like, hey, you, yeah, you can rap, right? You're black. You can rap. He's like, no, I can't really rap. Um, and then, like, they kind of kind of peer pressure him into it. And he gets on top of the steps and there's a bunch of white people waiting for him. And he starts to try and actually rap and spit bars, but he's not this doing not well. Working. And then I think he there's a turn where he realizes what the exactly what they want right and this is also kind of absurd in the way that it's presented to us too as an audience he literally just starts saying nigga shit nigga shit nigga 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 shit and then they jump in like a hype as fuck repeating it after him and shit and it's just like that's exactly what the world is right now oh everyone just wants nigga shit that's why trap into a certain element really really sells exactly like that shit, it, I was laughing because of how absurd it was, but then I felt really bad. Yeah, you're, about you're like, wow, that's exactly what's going and on. And that the, in life, the the brilliance of this movie is like it it does the movie does that so many times to you, where you're like you're like laughing yeah. or you enjoy, and then you're like, oh, this is horrible. The other little little side story that I liked was um, the what was the the Coke chick, the Pepsi chick who threw a, a Coke can at oh at, yeah, um, yeah. Cassius whatever at, during one of the rallies where because basically the um the telemarketing place where he worked, they were boycotting because they weren't getting paid fair wages. And he was initially helping like part of their crusade. But then once he got a promotion, he realized like, I need to use this for myself. And like, I'm still down for the cause, but like, I can't be part of it anymore. But they were trying to block the entrance every morning. And, um, 
you know, with like picket signs and shit like that. And they had to use like security guards to like bum rush people to get the people who were still trying to come to work to go to work. And someone threw like a Coke can at his face and it like, you know, cracked like a a cut in his uh, on his forehead. But like it went viral. That clip of someone throwing a Coke can went viral. Um, And then like in the background of the movie, kind of every every few scenes or whatever, you'd see something where the person who threw that Coke can was like taking the steps every so often to kind of sell out more and more and more and more and more until at the end she got her own television show about throwing coke cans at people. Yeah, it um, became like a uh, it became like a it became like a commercial and then it became like it, it first became like a meme then a commercial then like its own TV show. Uh, exactly. And then it started, they started selling it like as like Halloween costumes. Yeah, the kids were walking around with like, hair and coke cans. <laughs> <laughs> Which was ridiculous. Um, and then also it kind of made uh, some commentary because, like, all the, like, entertainment they watch is, like, ridiculous, like... Um, oh, my God. Ridiculous, man. like, uh, uh, reality shows where you have to, like... Sw- like, the dude, like, jump, like jumping into a vat of shit. Yeah, like, yeah. Jesus. Um, so where this movie takes a real loop is that once um, Army Hammer... Because at some point, Lakeith's character already gets kind of weirded out by all this whole thing. And I think at that party, he realizes that Tessa Thompson's character... Because they break up because, um, you know, he she he's going down a road where he's selling out and he's kind of like getting rid of her, his morals to make money. Right. And he, it's kind of understandable because he does need to make money for his uncle, but it's he's kind of losing parts of himself to it. Exactly, yeah. And because of that, they break up, but... I think Lakeith starts to realize how wrong he was about getting up here because he's kind of trying to follow the path of uh, Mr. You never know his name, but it's Mr. Something. It's he the one with the eye patch. Oh, yeah. He's yeah. sort of the big shot that everyone like kind of wanted to like be like. And he, he's the only other. I don't think he's, you only see any other black people. Mm-hmm. Um, at that level. Oh yeah, I forgot that they always blanked out his name. Yeah, it was. <laughs> what the yeah. fuck was that? Every time someone said his name, would be like, beep. Yeah, you, you just never know his name. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> so um, weird. And they had a poignant moment because at some point, Lakeith is just feeling awful being there, and I think he's he's like he's breaking down a little bit, and then he, he comes up to him and he's like, "Don't do that." Like he kind of gets like because at some point, it's a very big front that he's putting on that he's like this. He's like this hard-edged sort of corporate guy. But he kind of comes up to me. He's like, don't do that. Like, don't get emotional. You know, this is how... Basically telling him, like, this is how we make... Like, get ahead. This is how we make money. This is, like, the things we have to do. Right. Uh, Omari, Omari Hardwick's character. Um, mm-hmm. And then after he goes and sits with Army Hammer's character, you realize what, like, the... <laughs> the sort of the true plot of this movie is. Exactly. Is that basically Army... Well, actually, it was it was before he 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 went to the bathroom first, didn't he? No, no, he tries to go to the bathroom, and that's how he that's how he discovers it. Remember? Right, but I'm saying that's when you realize where the turn is. Right. So you, I mean, because he first goes to talk with him, right? Yeah. And then he's like, before we start, and he's like, you take a line, and there's like this, there's like this uh, dish filled with like what you think is cocaine, and it's like in a swirl. Mm-hmm. Um. And so he does the line, and Lakeith's like, uh, can, I, can I go to the bathroom first? He's like, no, can you wait? He's like, no, but I have to really yeah. go. <laughs> so he goes, and he goes kind of like, he says, it says to the blue door to the, to the left, I think. Is that what he says? Oh, 
He said it's green door, but it was like a it was like an olive type. He was like an off type of green. He's like go to the olive door or some shit yeah. like that. And so he goes in, and then he finds sort of like what he thinks is a bathroom star, and he hears someone say, uh, "Can you help me?" And he's about to leave, but the person sounds like he's like uh, really in danger. Um, and then when he opens the stall, you see like this half human, half horse. This is where my mind was blown. Yeah, I was like, "What the fuck?" Is yeah, going like on Yeah, like at that, this point, I'm like, "What in the name of am I watching?" It fall. Yeah. He falls out, and it's like this half human, half horse thing. And then you see in the other stalls is a bunch of like basically half humans, uh, half horses, half humans. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he's all freaking out, right? Mm-hmm. And he goes back into. And he's like, "Oh, maybe because I did the coke or whatever." Right, that he's tripping out. And then yeah, Army Hammer basically goes back to there, and he's like, "Where?" He's like, "Which way did you go?" He's like, "He said he's like I went to the green uh, olive door." He's like, "No, that's not olive. It's the other door." You went to the mid door. You're supposed to go to the olive like, door, or whatever yeah. color it was. Yeah. Um, and he basically explains to him like this is like the next like evolution in like slave labor, basically. Where he's gonna turn people in um, the the facilities into these like super horse people who can like carry like tons of stuff and like they're powerful and they don't like basically like they're a, a, like a the best type of fucked up way like workforce. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, and how they do it is by giving them like this powder bonding agent. Yeah. And then he's like he starts freaking out because he thinks he's now taking the bonding agent. He's like, nah, I just gave he's you like, coke. Don't coke. worry, man. Because at that, that point, you. you're yeah. like, oh my god, he's he's fucked. He's fucked. Yeah. Um, but the movie does a good job of like of hiding it. Because at some point, you forget yeah. that. Because the movie wraps up pretty pretty like well. Yeah. And and then it hits you with the oh shit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, once it becomes about the was Aquasapiens. Equisapiens. Equ- Basically, what what he said was he um, Army Hammer's character's name was Steve. What Steve said was um, he was like, I want you, you know, you've you've proven yourself to be you know someone that people look up to and want to follow. We want you to basically be the Martin Luther King of Equisapiens. Like right. you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna be like the false prophet or whatever. Like you're gonna like rile them up and then get them you know to think that they you know have their own opinion and then they're not gonna have their own opinion. And we're gonna take like after five years your your contract will be up and we'll give you um, the antidote that'll turn you back into a human again. Right. And he's like, nah, I'm not really down for that. Um, so he leaves and then he tries to um, basically prove to the world what steve has been doing what steve's plans were like he has like proof like he videotaped it and everything and um of the equisapiens and and the video of what steve was planning to do but kind of no one really gives a fuck no it, it wasn't um, uh i don't think it was uh i think he act they accidentally call him and it like leaves a message is that i, I don't know how exactly because he didn't take because he left his phone in there well there was there there at one point though there was an actual video recording of the stalls Oh, there was of the Aquasopians in the stalls. Yeah, I think maybe he went back or something. But there was there was definitely video recording. Right, I think one of the Aquasapiens actually took a recording because I think it was like he dropped his phone on his yeah. phone. Yeah, yeah. But he basically tries to prove it to the world what Steve's doing, and kind of no one really gives a shit. Um, but then um, things come to a head towards the end, where the um. The the picket the picketers what do you call them the, the protesters for the um for the telemarketing um are about like on the precipice of winning 
Um, and then like they bring like the SWAT team in and it just becomes like this big ass fucking like like just like really ugly battle between the two of them. And then that fucking Equisapiens come in and start fighting <laughs> yeah. people too. And you're like, what the fuck, fuck is fuck happening? Is happening? Yeah. Um and then everything seems to resolve itself in a really nice way where, you know, everyone wins, it seems like. And you're like, wow, that was, you know, that's a pretty good resolution for this movie. And then, like, he's moving back in. Like, he quits his job or whatever. He's moving back in with Tessa Thompson's character. And then he, like, starts to have really bad headaches and he turns into a fucking Equisapien. Like, like it seems like weeks later almost. Like, it wasn't, it didn't act quickly on him. Because um, I guess what he did snort wasn't cocaine, and it was the acting agent that turned him into an Echo Sapien. Um, and then he basically, it, it, the movie ends with him turning into an Echo Sapien, and then like just some credits, and then a post-credit scene comes up where he's kind of like the leader. He he basically becomes the Martin Luther King Jr. of the Echo Sapiens, <laughs> except they storm Steve's house and basically like beat his ass or yeah. kill him. I don't know. They don't because it kind of backfired. Because even though the people believed him. It only made Army Hammer's character more powerful and rich. Exactly. Like it became like this whole like media play thing. Um, exactly. But it was hilarious because he show he like he because first it's just his nose becomes, because um, he moves back into his uncle's house. Um, I mean he mm-hmm. moves some of his nicer things from his like apartment, but he kind of like adjusts back there, um, and his nose kind of like starts to transform. Yeah. Um, and then you just see him become this like in the end like leading the Equisapiens to go like a, get army hammer because they go they go attack yeah. him at Ar- they go to army's hammer's house to to basically make him pay up yeah what a crazy movie movie was fucking and literally what they say when they're like knocking on his door and they're like hey sorry to bother you but <laughs> <laughs> i was like this is yeah awesome. but i do i think that it was more so trying to make this like profound statement on how oh, black sure. bodies are treated Right, For whether sure. it's in sports or in in any sort of way, they're just treated as lesser. They're lesser, but also in like a hyper sexualized, a hyper, um, sort of hyper physical way, that yeah. the, that black like black bodies are treated, and that was sort of this, the this thing that whole idea personified in this movie. Um, I think this movie is brilliant. Oh yeah, I think it's. I think the fact that it's even. I I don't think this movie ever gets made, if Get Out, because I think Get Out opened a door for a lot of these weird movies to be made. That's true. Because um, like, this true. movie should have never been made, but because Get Out started this whole new wave of movies like this being accepted, that this thing got to be made. And I think it's amazing. My only problem with it yeah. was um, a little bit of pacing issues. Um, not that mm-hmm. much, but, um, but I do think where one thing that I didn't like was Steven Yoon's whole thing seemed kind of pointless like his whole arc with tessa thompson i didn't understand why that had to be in the movie at all like it didn't feed the narrative for me in any way that felt constructive i think it did i think it showed it showed her character not having to be beholden to to cassius as he was making mistakes right but she could have done that but just not being with him like her like because Steven Yeun is the one who kind of like started the protest and everything, and I and I see why they kind of attracted to each other. But uh-huh. like she could, because her whole agency could have just been like she doesn't need to be with him, and she's just pursuing her art. That whole relationship, that fling that they have, didn't really feed the narrative any way for me. Like it could have been that just she was just you know not with him. Yeah, I guess that didn't bother right. me though. Like it, 
I mean, I, at least for me, I didn't see that as an issue. I also liked how when she had her art show, like she was using the white voice in a different yeah, way. Yeah, like she kind of she kind of learned something from like it in a subversive well. way to like show like yeah. what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I really really enjoyed. It. I, this is like one of those must see movie experiences. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um. All right. Let's let's get into Black Klansman. Um, this movie Klansman. Black Klansman was incredibly tense. Oh, yeah. Just because, like, there were some times in this movie I was like... And I was also, like, I do think they ha- handled humor really well. I will say, just because you haven't seen Blind Spotting yet, for me personally, I do, I, I agree, this movie was very tense. But for me, when I watched Blind Spotting, at times, I was physically uncomfortable. Really? Just because of like, how it's going down? Like, how deep the t- like how, how deep the tenseness was in that movie. Um, but I do agree, this movie was also incredibly tense. Yeah, um... For different, for, for different, different ways. reasons. For different reasons. I like yeah. in the beginner how in the beginning when they're like interviewing him to be like the first black police officer yeah. in in uh, Colorado Springs. Um, he's all like the police chief, and then the other guy who was with him, who was a black. Guy, I don't know what his role was, but he was. Yeah, I have yeah. no idea who he was supposed. Um, to. He's like, well, will you get upset if someone calls you the N word? He's all like, or react. He's all like, not if I don't have to. Um, you know, and then he's like, but will that happen? And the black guy's like, yeah. she, <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was like, it was, it was unfortunate, but also hilarious. Like, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah that's going to happen. Yeah. Of course yeah. it's going to happen. Yeah. Um, and th- I, I think this movie handles that sort of the, how racism is both on a micro level and a macro level. Like it's very, in its subtle ways, but also mm-hmm. in its like, um, and it's very obvious in, in detrimental ways. Uh, and I do think it's interesting how he becomes friends with David Duke over the phone. And David Duke and him just hit it off because yeah. he kind of really he kind of yeah. plays the horn just to how David Duke wants to hear it. Um, mm-hmm. And it's crazy how quickly they kind of become friends and how... He, and he kind of asks him, like, how can you tell the difference between a white or a black person? He's like, oh, they're how they say words, <laughs> certain words. How they, it's how they, have you ever? And he's like, for instance, the word R. R. Have you ever realized when they say the w- words with R's, they put an R. Like R, you gonna so, do that? R, you gonna get me some juice? <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, that's all. Like that's that's all it takes yeah. for him. Also, I want to say like this movie had an incredible cast for one, um, and I, I think. Topher Grace was like perfect casting for David Topher Duke. Grace did a great job as David Duke because he did he played him off yeah. as this sort of like casual, um, to, like sane and seemingly like because like all the other rednecks are kind of like, and like the 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 KKK members are like these rednecks who like look like they fit that sort of persona of being good. But David yeah. Duke was sort of this sort of like you know calm. He was rebranding, himself, you know, yeah. Uh, like level-headed sort of guy who is just he has his weird fucked up beliefs yep um which was crazy and i also thought that whole thing with the when they're when that guy came i don't know his name but i'm sure he's actually a historical figure who talks about his friend who was charged with um i guess assaulting a black woman oh oh a white a woman. white woman the, um, that's not that's not about... um they weren't talking about what's his uh shit it's on the tip of my tongue uh i can't remember uh sh- i 
It was, I, I wasn't sure if it was they, the, that's who they're talking about or if this was a different incident. Let me look yeah. it up. Um, but that, that that guy who was played by Harry Belafonte. Oh, that was Harry. That was Harry Belafonte. Holy yeah, shit. That, the, the old guy telling the story. Holy right? shit! In the really? Full of, yeah. Um, let me see. Is because I, I've heard of that story before. I just don't remember. Um, the name of the person. Ugh, let me look it up. Because they had the pictures and everything. Right, about how he was, like, basically, uh, they put, like, a chain around his neck and, like, per- like dragged him through the streets and, um, like, yeah. cut off his testicles in front of everybody. Like, it was just this horrifying, horrifying thing. Um, and and they were saying, too, it, this, that, that whole scene was juxtaposed with, like, the, the Klansmen, like, ceremony of, like, um, people becoming Klansmen, the men becoming Klansmen, and then watch. Birth of a Nation. Right, right, and it, yeah, that was crazy. Yeah, yeah, me? that was crazy. How they like, and, and they were showing, and he even said in his story too, like, the 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 people, the country reacted the way they did, almost as rabid as they did, because it was like right after Birth of a Nation had came out, and they were like, here's the first example of something that we can kind of take advantage of someone, um, and I was like, that's fucking horrible. Nineteen yeah. hundreds. Uh, I'm trying to look it up but it was and i do think it juxtaposes like the black power movement and and the kkk um cinematically very well yeah i thought it was really um powerful when the guy in the what's his name in the beginning who's like this uh outspoken um black panther he's talking about how oh Kwame Kwame Ture. Ture. It, it was um it was Stokely Carmichael, but he had renamed, he had like converted, um, or changed his name and it changed his name to Kwame Ture. Like Stokely Carmichael, like marched with like Martin Luther King. And right. That. He was one of them. He was, he was one of those, um, with, with, yeah, part of the civil rights movement. I'm trying to find this story. Harry Belafonte. His name, the character he played was, uh, his name was Jerome Turner, and he was a United States District Judge. Um, okay. I'm trying to see. Trying to see. Uh, Turner was nominated by President Reagan. This is annoying. Yeah. But yeah, it was a it was a horrifying sort of Jerome Turner's character gives this horrifying recount uh, recounting of what I found it. Who, okay, who was it? I found it. Jesse Washington. Jesse Washington. Okay. Oh my God. Oh my God! I'm looking at this picture right now. Um, he was a black teenage farmhand who was lynched in the county of, in the county seat of Waco or Waco, Texas, on May 15th, 1916. Um, let me see. He was convicted of raping and murdering Lucy Fryer, the wife of his white 
employer in rural Robinson, Texas. Um, which again, it's 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 almost like kind of what the plot of Birth of a Nation is, where this savage black dude um, rapes and kills white women and attacks white women. So the KKK comes, you know, riding into town like the fucking cowboys of the West um, to, you know, kill the black people who just killed their white women. Um, so I think people were incited by that movie to kind of do something mm-hmm. in real life. Um, so they strung him up on a tree, lynched him, castrated him and whipped him. And then people in, in the, in the story, they were talking about how, um, it was like the spectacle for, yeah. Like kids got off of school to go watch this. Like in the picture on Wikipedia, it shows him on the tree, obviously dead. Like he almost looks like a part of the tree. That's how fucked up his like body is. And the people in the background are just like smiling. Like it was like some sort of like, you know, thing to see. Yeah. Jesus Christ. It's crazy. Because the pictures in the movie they showed, they weren't, they weren't that graphic. What he said happened was graphic. Like they cut off his fingers, hung him over a, a bonfire. But they didn't show all the they didn't show the pictures I'm looking at now. This is right. crazy. And then it, oh yeah, they said this in the movie too. The pictures that um that the photographer took there, they were printed out and sold on postcards in this in the city of Waco, Ooh, Texas. That's that's horrifying. Like what the fuck, dude? And when you think about it, that was only a hundred years ago. Yeah. Like that's not that's if you think about like in the in the grand scheme of history, that was not a very long time ago. Um, but yeah, just going back to what we were talking about, like, I thought that was a really nice scene that juxtaposed like those two opposing sides kind of, you know, one side was kind of learning about history, um, like real history, um, in, in a way that that will incite them to try and, 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 and bring change in the world. Whereas the other side was looking at fake history with birth of a nation to kind of incite them to perpetuate hate and violence. I'm like, this is fucking horrible. Yeah, it wouldn't. I'm not okay. Yeah, and it was it was a tough watch seeing, uh, seeing how these white men just like cheered and like were so enthusiastic about the birth of a nation. This just horrifying, and how they yeah. just like they just ate it all up without even a second of hesitation. Yeah. And they were just cheering it on. And oh my god, I, I know I know we were supposed to hate her, but I hated the wife. Of that one oh, um, yeah. KKK. Yeah. So goddamn much. Oh my god. She was just so enthusiastic. But there's also killing. there's also there's also something to say though about the again, it was a little bit you know, it was a little bit more subtle than the rest of the um disparity that was going on in, in the movie. But the way that um he treated his wife too, there there's something to say there too. Oh, yeah. You know, she was just completely beholden to him and whatever he did, she was she was his ride or die. And he ultimately I mean, he didn't succeed in doing so. Um he tried he basically tried to use her to to kill Patrice at the end of the movie. Well really he wanted um, to blow up um Well yeah, he was trying to kill Patrice, but if he couldn't kill Patrice oh well, no, yeah, he was going for Patrice, yeah. He was going for Patrice, but I, I think he didn't. I knew. He, I think he knew there was a chance that he would get caught. So he was like, "Well, my wife is my ride or die. She's been waiting for me to give her, you know, something to do. Let me give this assignment to right. her, and if she gets caught, she gets caught." You know, which is also fucked up. Oh my god, that scene where they were in the bed together, like cuddling, uh, and they were just like, "I just, I just hate niggers so it was much." So gross. 
and then they start kissing because they just like agree with each other so much. Uh, I'm like, this is the fucking. But worst. I mean, like that's like a reality. Like that that's like there's I people know, out there who genuinely to this day believe that, and that's what made the ending so shocking because when you see the like the white nationalist rally, you're just yeah. like, holy shit. Well, because there was a point in the movie where. It was like in the beginning of the crusade or whatever that Ron was going on. And he was talking to his the chief or whatever. It wasn't the chief. It was like, like um, I think it was like. Deputy. I, I really like that uh, that actor. You don't? I do. You I do. really like like that character in general. I was like, that's a really. Yeah, he was He, he was, was cool. funny, but him. he was also like, like, what the hell? You guys are in over your head. But I don't know. He was also yeah. really funny. Um, well, because well, well, basically. David Duke was like explaining how he believes that one day there'll be a president who represents right. our values, Someone, you know? Exactly, exactly. And he and Ron was like, there's no way. Because I think at the time they were trying to say that David Duke was trying to position himself to be that right, person. Right, and run for president, yeah. Uh, which, is, which is why he was so much different from all the other KKK members that we saw in the movie. You know, he seemed a lot more presentable and likable and charismatic. Um Someone used it's like, oh, this guy can't be racist. There's yeah. no way. Um, so I think he was trying to say that, that David Duke is position, positioning himself to to basically be that person. Um, or if not, to, to put someone in place who would be that person. And Ron's like, there's no way. This is America. Like, nothing like that could happen. And, and the guy was like, dude, like, as a black guy, I can't believe you, you could be that naive. Right. Uh, and at the, at, at, the, at the time when they were having that conversation, I, I totally understood they were alluding to Trump, you know, because that's where we are right. now. But then it was, it was just punctuated by it, you know, where when they showed the Charlottesville stuff and quoted, you know, the president in his little um, speech afterwards, you know, saying that there were people on both sides and very fine people. Right. Um, and, and then put it right next to David Duke saying that, like, Trump, you know, embodies our values as white supremacists or whatever. I'm just like, this is fucking horrifying. It's terrifying, yeah. Um, like if, if 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 there was ever a movie, and this is what I really appreciated about this, if there was ever a movie to not trust its audience to be smart enough to get what the movie's about, this was that movie. Yeah, like the ending with the Char- the Charlottesville stuff that needed to be there because I can t- I can definitely see people going to watch this movie and seeing it just completely as fictional even though, even if it said this was based on a true story right. and then they walk out still having their reservations or whatever towards um other races but then with that Charlottesville thing at the end that's basically Spike Lee saying no I don't trust that you got my message yeah. here so let me put it And it's it like in it's like it's like I'm not pulling any punches like this is this is reality Yeah, yeah. I really appreciate it. Me that. too. I did, and I and the movie ends with like an upside down flag. So here's a question that I'm actually just starting to think about now. Also, uh, this is a kind of a question I wanted to, and perhaps in a in a later episode we can have David Walker on mm-hmm. to talk about this because he's sort of an expert on um, black exploitation movies. He ran a mm-hmm. blog for years that kind of got him uh, some notoriety. Um, f- yeah. about black exploitation. So I thought there was certain because they talk about black exploitation, like they talk about um, Pam Greer and they talk about like Shaft yeah, and stuff do. like that. And they talk yeah. about, and she's kind of like because he enjoys them. Patrice, Patrice, yeah, Patrice is like not she's about like you know those are like just you know they're just exploiting black people, right? Um, but mm-hmm. you know he enjoys them for you know on a pure popcorn value sense. So yeah. there was some, there was some cinematic like moments in this movie which i kind of wanted to ask somebody who's 
more versed on this um mm-hmm. on on like different types of like styles or like film ma- filmmaking mm-hmm. techniques they would use because there was a certain like yeah. uh there was that one scene in the beginning or there it could just been spike lee's sort of directorial style which i think can you can say was expired by black exploitation i think he was he was a young kid slash teenager in the 70s when a lot of these movies were that being made. totally makes sense uh and the two um, moments in particular was kwame Touré when he was talking and when they would yeah, pan to the when they, the close they would they would flip to the audience and the audience is like their their faces would be illuminated and like they would have like large beautiful afros yeah. and they kind of like frames their face um and and yeah. they every time like it's as if like what he was saying was sort of illuminating them from the inside um that and and the last sort of there was an interesting thing that happens in this movie towards Mm. the end where once you like once the you know the 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 wife is stopped she blows up um her purchase's car instead of and kind of gets caught and the other guys who are involved also get caught and you know there's kind of like this almost well no they get they get blown up no, they don't get blown up. She was in the car. No, they... Nah. They get blown... They're dead. How do they die? So she went... Remember, she went by herself to go and try and kill Patrice. Um, and the, I think the original plan was to do it during the rally, but there were too many cops, so that she called her husband. And she's like, I can't do it here. He's like, don't worry, I'm on the way. So she goes to Patrice's house, and she, she tries to put the C4 in the mailbox, right. but it doesn't fit. And then Patrice is coming home then, so she has to like kind of run away, and then she she um, gets out of Patrice's way, and she ends up putting it on the right. car. Uh, but then that's when Ron is like there, so Ron is kind of chasing after her now, and she's trying to get away. Um, Ron chased after her, tackled her, and he's trying to handcuff her, and then that's when her husband Felix pulls up with all the other hicks in the car, um, and he's thinking that the C4 is in the is is in the, the mailbox where she was supposed to put it, but she she's predisposed work, uh, with Ron, so she can't tell him, hey, I didn't put it there. Right. It's actually on the car. So they pulled up right next to the car, and then oh, they flipped the C4 switch. Oh. When the car blows up, they also I didn't catch up, that. They're dead as I didn't fuck. catch that. And that's why she started screaming. Um, yeah, they're dead as fuck, which was like some sweet oh, Yeah, so they get barbecued. Um, and there's this, but there's this moment afterwards where it kind of plays off like a, like a cheesy... And it almost like it, it, it and it made more sense after the into the movie wrapped up. But after that mm-hmm. happens, and it's kind of like a victory for Ron Stallworth. And then, mm-hmm. but then it can, they're all like, hey, there's the guy, the man of the hour. And it's oh, almost yeah, like this, fun. like, like corny <laughs> kind of like, hey, yeah. we won the day kind of moment. And, mm-hmm. but it was a really interesting thing where he did because he, they did that in purpose because reality is never that sweet. Right, of so course. they play it up like, "Hey, look, it's the guy he won," and it kind of like it was this like slight tonal shift, until you got to the police mm-hmm. chief, and he's like, "Let's keep this off the books." And he's like, "Budget cuts, yeah, like keep this off the books. We can't have people knowing." Basically, about top this. down, it came that they're gonna bury this whole thing. We'll fucking just because you know there's influence to uh, of KKK shit at of the course. top too. Um, and so. That was such an interesting thing, and so the the second sort of scene that was so provocative, and but also kind of I'm wondering was was it borrowed from black exploitation films? Was that final the final scene, scene where uh, it's basically Patrice, yeah. Patrice, someone's at Patrice or at Ron's house, knocks on the door, and then mm-hmm. they think it might be like one of the KKK guys, 
And so they both yeah. get their gun. Well, I guess she has a gun too. Obviously, why wouldn't she now? Yeah. She almost got blown <laughs> up. Um, and then so they then they're going down the hallway of the apartment building, but it's like they're not actually moving. They're like on a moving dolly. Like a, a track yeah. or something. And then it yeah. kind of like pan, like you see like there's like a burning cross at like the window that's perfectly framed. And they're kind of moving as the movie, they're kind of moving, almost floating through that hallway. While they're standing, while they're standing still, still to, yeah. to that sort of. Um, and then they're going towards the burning, uh, cross, a burning and cross. And you just see that the Klansmen are like out there burning a cross. Yeah, that was definitely an artistic choice to, you know, kind of betrayed the way the rest of the movie was shot. And I was also wondering yeah. about that too. Um, I, I mean, I enjoyed it. I thought it was me too. Really I thought that was really provocative and like very interesting. Um, but I just I wondered if that was like specifically something that they were borrowed from black exploitation cinema. Yeah, gotcha. yeah, that would be something. I'll, I'll reach out to David and see if he he'd, he'd be interested to talk about it. Yeah, um, that'd be something that'd be cool to ask him. I wonder though. I mean, it, I guess it doesn't really matter, but I do wonder who was that at the door. You know, you know, it was probably um, one of the people from the. It's probably the 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 guy who kind of liked him in the beginning you know because the, the other guy kind of like smelled something like he just didn't the one the, the guys uh-huh. who, the one with the wife he kind of always knew in the back of his like head like something wasn't right with uh flip no but he's dead right remember? but I'm, I'm saying it's not him it's the other guy who was kind of like oh. who wanted to make him like the chapter's captain or like the leader and stuff yeah oh gosh, i mean it's it, it doesn't really matter because they're kind of yeah, they're kind does. of like a faceless sort of like <clears throat> right. they're basically kind of like hydra just a lot scarier exactly um yeah it's crazy um i think all three of these movies are like phenomenal and and they came in the right moment yeah this is this is and i said this when trump got elected this is the one good thing to come out of this is the art that's yeah being created. for sure um that'll hopefully put people in the frame of mind and, and wake them up and see that like we can't ever let this happen no again. not at all um of so i think my only concern with this movie was that i think it had a little bit of pacing issues around the middle mm-hmm. like i felt like it, there was times where i felt like the pacing needed a little work but besides that i think it's a it's a phenomenal movie so yeah. out of all three of these movies how would like from your favorite like of course i think all three of <sighs> all three hard, of these man. movies to me are flying colors i mean actually i haven't seen yeah. blind spotting but uh, Black Klansman and, um, and and sorry to bother Damn, you. For hard. me, they're both like they're A's for sure. Like I, I have little to no problem with yeah. them. Yeah, no, same same here. All three of these movies yeah. are A's, and I hate to put them in order. Oh my god, but I will. <laughs> Again, and this is not saying that there's anything wrong with any of these movies because I don't I don't have like the slight problems you have. I have no right. problems really. Um, but I and think then for me, they're not problems. Of... They're more so critiques. Like just a small, small, small yeah. minor critiques. But they're nothing. Like even the the critiques I mean, there were so there were just something I've noticed. Like it wasn't it, nothing was egregious enough that it, I think it would like, um, it hurt the movie in any way. Like I, and I have right. generally just because, I, I take these things with a lot of I think a lot about them. So I think even like one of the movies that I th- are like legendary to me, like Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Like I think Jared Leto's performance <laughs> sucks in that movie, but that doesn't take away from the yeah. magnificence of that movie. Yeah. True. Um, I just hate that something has to be last. Right. But just don't think of it that way. Um, I'm trying to. I'm trying to base my list off of just how I was when I left the theater, uh-huh. in any capacity, whether it was a good or bad feeling. Um, 
so or just how strong the feeling whatever it was how strong the feeling good or bad it was when i left the theater that's how i'm basing this so the first my number one is going to be blind okay. spotting and then black clansman and then sorry to bother okay. you okay um and really like those really can be interchangeable on any day right but after seeing these movies once that's that's where it is right. for me no that makes total sense um but because i told you after blind spotting like i went to the park and just kind of stared at trees for like an hour and a half because i was just you was just too hurt i wasn't i wasn't okay yeah and it didn't have it didn't even have the type of you know you know tear-jerking ending that that black Klansmen did it was more of just like no this is the fucking world like this is happening right the fuck now. Like, I don't feel good about this. Like this, this, the story of this movie could have happened yesterday, you know? And I just, I, I don't, I really had to just digest it in a way where, which started to bother you as much as I had to digest it. It was more of me trying to decipher it in a way, which was all, it it was fun. It it was fun. And I, I didn't feel as like, you know, shitty. Um, even though, you know, some of the themes that were displayed were definitely trying to make you realize the shitty, you know, underbelly, not, not even underbelly of this country. Um, and that was fun to do, but I just think that the, the feeling of me, you know, having to decompress was a lot stronger with, with blind spotting. And then a, cl- a close second was black. Clansman. Yeah. I definitely feel that. I, yeah. And they were, and they were all like tremendously hard to, to swallow. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah, I think that about wraps this episode up. Morgan, Mondukes, where can they find you? They can find me at Millennial on Twitter and Instagram. That's M-O-E-L-L-E-N-N-I-A-L. Also, Millennial.com, where I've got, like, you have links to my interviews for Black Nerd Problems, where I review Justice League and do the interviews with comics creators and stuff like that. Also, check out the Melanin Minute page on my website, because I finally updated it. It has all the episodes and all the, like, little, the pictures that I make every Mm -hmm. week for for the episodes, too, if you appreciate that type of stuff. Um, And, yeah. You can follow me me at Shabazz Kazia on Twitter and Facebook. Also, check out my website, ShabazzKazia.com. Um, you can follow this podcast at Melanin Minute on Facebook, Twitter, um, and you can listen to this episode every the review episode every Monday on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, TuneIn, um, and soon, very soon, Spotify and SoundCloud, of course. Dope, dope, um, dope, give dope, us a five star review and subscribe to us, and I may give you a shout out, or I may not, or I probably won't, but I may, or maybe not. We'll never know. McDeuces. Like Tootsie Pops. Bye-bye. Bye.